My name is Andrew Marlin, and I've been fortunate to hunt and fish all across the United States and beyond. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. But the one thing that I've come to realize is that there's no place quite like home. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy as I take you across the southwestern U.S., highlighting some of the unique hunting and fishing opportunities of the area and sharing the stories of those who partake. You're listening to Dry Ground. What's going on, everyone? I've got another great episode for you today. I'm super excited about this one. I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Kirk Belding, the host and producer of Western Obsessions TV. You can find Western Obsessions on Carbon TV, where you can find the Dry Ground podcast. And he's also got some content on some other services, uh, streaming services that he mentions in the show as well. Kurt is a fascinating guy. He's done a lot of things in the business world and the hunting world, and we talk about both. Um, He came on particularly to talk about a recent Gould's turkey hunt he had, which as any of you that know me know, that really sparked some interest. Um, But he also brought up a recent hunt he just got back from where he actually was fortunate to take an oscillated turkey in southern Mexico. He talks about his recent trip to Arizona that you can also see on his channel. Um, He talks about an Audad hunt in Mexico, and he even tells me about a new, not excuse me, not a new, it's new to me, but a subspecies of mule deer that I didn't know existed in northern Mexico. So really interesting podcast. We dive into a little bit about some travel struggles he had in Zimbabwe. Um, Really neat. So you're not going to want to miss it, but of course, before we dive right in, I want to thank the ones that make this podcast possible. First of all, I'd like to thank Mike Bita of Art of the Outdoorsman Taxidermy in Buckeye, Arizona for his support of the show and also for the great work he's done for me personally. Mike, as you have probably heard me say before, is an award-winning taxidermist and you are always guaranteed a great conversation when you go down there. So to get a hold of Mike or to see some of his work, shoot him a text, give him a call. His number is 623-533-9985 or you can also reach out to me and I'll get you in touch with them. I'd like to thank Vantage Point Archery or VPA for their support of the show. Um, I've said it once and I'll say it a thousand times, VPA makes the world's best broadheads in terms of lethality. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. Accuracy, tunability. I can't say enough good about them and I can tell you my success as a bow hunter truly has gone up since switching over to them probably six or seven years ago now. I'd have to check. Now, I don't say all these good things because they support the show. I work with them and reached out to them because I can say those good things about them. You won't be sorry. Make sure you check them out. Vantage Point Archery, maker of what I'm deeming the world's best broadheads. And being a full-service machine shop, they also make all kinds of other cool things too. So check them out. All right, that's enough of me talking. Without further ado, Kurt Belding. I've for entrepreneurship and and doing well in business, hunting, or is that completely separate? Um, it was completely separate, man. Uh, I, you know, I tell people entrepreneurs, true entrepreneurs, I think, are just born that way. And then there's a lot of people that dabble in the entrepreneurial world, um, but I think I think you're just born that way, man. I'm just born that way. And and I tell a lot of people, like, sometimes I wish I wasn't, I wish I didn't have the drive and the ambitions that I have, because it would be really nice to just work a nine to five and chill and have a hobby. 
and hang out with my family and not think about anything else once I'm clocked out. But um, man, I just have that constant drive and the constant ambitious ambition for entrepreneurship. So I think I was just born that way, man. And then, you know, I'll, I'll, I've hunted my whole life pretty much. And I just, uh, I don't know, man, I hit 40 and I just decided that's, I just was tired of the, uh, the businesses I was doing. And I just wanted to go on adventure in hunting trips. And it's, and, you know, obviously the entrepreneurship helped me do that because I sold some businesses, which freed up some money. So I, sure. I kind of joked that like I'd taken my retirement early. So over the last three years, I've been retired going on cool trips, but uh, the retirement fund is running out. It's not going to last. For <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if you asked, there's a funny joke is um, if you asked a, a, ask someone, can you become a millionaire by hunting? And uh, the answer is yes. If you started out as a billionaire, <laughs> Hunting's expensive, man. We spend it a lot is. Of money. It is. Well, so that leads me to a question. I know I asked you the other day too, but for someone that's uh, maybe in high school looking to choose their next step or in college um, as a hunter and someone that's passionate about hunting, what would what advice would you give that person to, um, I don't know, like to, to be able to keep that lifestyle going? Like, is there anything that you uh, wish you would have known or heard prior to being a hunter and an entrepreneur? Uh, man, I guess my best advice for a younger guy, either wanting to be a business owner, an entrepreneur, and also a hunter, would be finding a mentor. I think a mentor is really important. That'll shorten that learning curve really fast, whether it be hunting or, or entrepreneurship. And you can learn from other people's mistakes, right? Um, you can learn fast and get to success a lot faster than you would on your own. Um, and then the other advice is just start doing as fast as you can start doing the faster you learn. So if you're an entrepreneur, just start, start opening businesses, just start trying. Don't wait for things to be perfect. Just start doing and you'll learn a lot and learn a lot through failure. Same thing with hunting. Just start, get out in the woods, get out in the mountains, just start hunting and you'll learn a lot through the failures of hunting. So get a mentor and just start doing and start learning. That's, that's probably my biggest advice. Absolutely, man. That's great, great advice. And I think to someone that has uh, been doing it a while, whether it be business or, or hunting to be open to being that mentor as well. Yeah. Switching gears. So anyways, man, um, how did you get into TV? Um, You know, I, um, I think it was in 2019, I had a company, so I've had a bunch of companies, but I created a content creation company to create commercials and websites and photos and videos to advertise my other co companies. And um, I, I drew a tag here in Colorado. I knew it was a pretty decent tag and I wanted to film my hunt just for shits and giggles, just for the fun of it. So I brought a videographer with me and we filmed the hunt and we edited it and we put it out on social media and it went really well. People really loved it. And a buddy, or actually he's a buddy now, but a dude hit me up and was like, hey, what are you doing with this filming thing? And I'm like, nothing, man. I'm just having fun. And he's like, you, I used to have a, a hunting show on the Sportsman's Channel. You should really do that. So oh, wow. we teamed up and put some stuff together. And that's where it got started, man. That's awesome. And that was 2019? That was 2019, yep. 
So since 2019, how many hunts do you think you've filmed? Um, a good question. I think I have like 30 filmed hunts on my YouTube channel, probably around that. Don't quote me to that, but <laughs> sure, sure. But I've filmed probably three times that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? Well, I know how that <laughs> goes. Some of them just don't make it, right? Some sure. of them are either super unsuccessful or super boring and no one would be entertained by it. So I just don't don't spend the time to edit it, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. So before you had started the content creation company, did you have any background in editing or anything? No, none. And that's kind of been my MO, man, is um, I have a degree in psychology. Okay. College and, but I, I didn't take... I'll take that back. I took one business class in college and I was failing the business class. So I dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> so my MO man is just teaching myself how to do things, man. And just being resourceful and figuring things out. So uh, that's what we did. That's what I did with the content creation company. And I wasn't the one creating the content. I hired guys to do it. Right. And I'm the one that's creating the content. I'm the one out there self-filming. I do most of my editing I do everything now and I just taught myself how to do it. Man, that's that's awesome. My hat's off to you because like we were talking about the other day on the phone, I that was my biggest struggle is the editing portion. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that you do a lot of self-filming as well. Do you have a camera guy as well or do you kind of keep it just to exclusive self-film? I do both. Um, some hunts, I'll bring a camera guy with me if it's a, a special hunt. Like I'm going on a hunt to Attic Island doing a caribou hunt. Oh, wow. Alaska. This nice. year, I think I'll probably bring a camera guy with me. But a lot of the other hunts, I really enjoy being on the mountain by myself. Mm -hmm. I'll do self-filming then. And, and that's, whew, that's super hard. I don't know if you ever, if you tried to do any self-filming. Yeah, I have. That's uh, that's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, that, that throws a whole new element into the hunt. Um, but I enjoy being on the mountain alone and, and just spending my time there. So that's some... I would say nowadays, 75% of my hunts are self-filmed and then 30, 25 to 30% of the other hunts are filmed. Okay. So I know self-filming is kind of a, a popular thing right now, even just for personal, you know, you know, catching mm -hmm. memories and stuff. What, how, what have you done to mitigate the battery challenge when you're on a backcountry hunt? Um, yeah, I bring a lot of batteries with me. Sure for my cameras and I run four cameras on a self-filming backcountry hunt. So I'm, I'm lugging a lot of shit with me. So I'll run, I call it my kill cam. It's a Nikon point and shoot. It's as a super zoom on it. I'll okay. run that, especially on my rifle hunts to make sure I get the animal well unframed for the kill shot. Mm -hmm. I'll use that for my animal footage instead of a spotting scope. A lot of times I'll use that camera so I can capture the footage of animals. Um, and then I have a DSLR, a mirrorless camera, I'm sorry, a mirrorless camera that um, I use as like my pretty camera, making things look pretty, right? Like right. my B-roll shots, um, stuff like that. I use my cell phone a lot for narrative. Um, mm. So I'll just pop my, whenever I feel like I want to say something, I just grab my cell phone and I, I usually talk on my cell phone. And then I use a GoPro to capture some wide angle shots and then just... I'll throw it on my head a lot of times to get like that, that first person point of view shot. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's like a backup, especially when I'm archery hunting, man, I'll throw that on my head and try to get the kill shot that way. Archery hunting, but, but to your point batteries. So I, I bring a lot of batteries with me uh, for my phone. I have a battery pack that I 
we'll use for that where I can get like six charges off the phone. Oh, nice. And then I run it on airplane mode. So it saves the battery a lot. So that's, that usually lasts me, man. Usually pretty good. Right on. So early on in self-filming, were there some times when you uh, questioned whether it was worth it or not missing opportunities? I still question that. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I don't know how many animals I should have killed, but I didn't because I was trying to get it on film. Yeah. Like, countless times. And then, it is it is a struggle, man. But I will say that I'm a bit addicted to documenting my hunt. Like, I, and I'll uh, there'll be a hunt every once in a while that I'll go on. I won't film. Like I went on a turkey hunt with my daughter back in Nebraska, and she doesn't like it when I film either because sometimes it gets in the way of the hunt. Right. But uh, I just enjoyed it and relaxed. I didn't film. Um, but man, every other hunt I go on is I just feel the need to document it. Whether it be I'm trying to entertain like my followers or even for myself, man, where I can I can look back when I get older. My my grandkids, grandkids could look back and see what crazy Uncle Hurt, Kurt was all about. <laughs> so it's just a cool thing to do, I think. No, man, it is. Uh, I've got a good buddy, Chris Sipe. He runs Hunter Fuel and it's a YouTube channel. And uh, I've hunted with him a couple of times and just hunting with him. He always films for his channel and and being able just to go back and watch my hunts has been so much fun, you know? So I definitely see where that addiction comes from. Yeah. Well, and also, especially on the shot, if you can film the shot, whether it be archery hunt or a rifle hunt, mm. you can play that back and see where that arrow or bullet hit the animal. Absolutely. And, and you can get a really good understanding of what to do next whether you need to let the animal sit or if you think he's dead or, you know, it helps a lot actually. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So anyways, man, I want to get on and talk uh, about your Mexico hunt, but before we dive into that, um, I just watched your Arizona episode the other day. Oh, nice. Uh, well, yeah, that was fantastic footage, man. You guys looked like you were in some pretty good bucks. What, yeah. what were your thoughts on Arizona? Was that your first time out here? That was my first time hunting Arizona and I done a, I did as much e-scouting as possible. Yeah. I didn't get boots on the ground before we went out there. Um, but you know, it was a late season hunt. It was a January hunt. And I was like, man, I just want to go. And I love hunting mule deer with a bow. That's probably my one of my favorite hunts. Okay. So I just did a bunch of e-scouting, went out there. It took us two or three days to like really understand the, the area and what was happening. But I would say by third, fourth day, man, we spotted a couple really good bucks and we were in the action. We didn't we didn't close the deal. We didn't kill a buck, but man, it was a blast. I just really enjoyed it. I'm glad, man. It looks like you guys gotten some javelina. Those are pretty fun for archery hunters, aren't they? Yeah, javelina are a blast, man. They're uh, their eyesight's terrible, but they're yeah. good. So it's fun to do a little stock on javelina and and uh yeah, that's a blast too. Yeah, man. I love those for beginner hunters, whether it be archery or, you know, youth rifle or something, just because you get so many opportunities and they're a little more forgiving than some of the mature deer in the areas you noticed. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you guys think of the taste of them? Uh, we actually cooked him up right there in camp and it was okay. Nice. A little bit gamey. I'm sure if we had the time to prep it and marinate and everything, it would be better, but I don't know. Do you guys eat javelina? Yeah, I do. Um, mainly because I love hunting them. And, uh, but yeah. what I've found is, is the first thing you have to do is, you know, that scent gland right there above their hips. Yeah. You've got to cut that out and not let it touch anything and just chuck it before you skin it. 
and then switch knives. And I think that's a hundred or that's a majority of the, the taste. And then I'll end up brining mine for about 36 hours afterwards. And then it turns out pretty mild, but uh, it's pretty labor intensive for the eight pounds of debone meat to get, but they're, they're fun to hunt. So it makes it, makes it worth the effort. Yeah. That's it, man. Like if you're going to hunt and kill something, you better eat it. Right. So absolutely on to hunt, you might as well figure out how to eat it and make it taste good. Absolutely. Um, so I've never hunted mule deer in any other state actually. So how did Arizona desert muleys compare to some of the mule deer hunts you've been on in other places? The area that where I was at, it, it was, I love the terrain, man. I love the rolling Hills, the cutout canyons, um probably my favorite terrain to hunt in because you can glass really well yeah it makes spot and stock a lot easier uh, so i really enjoyed arizona i've hunted mule deer in nebraska i've hunted mule deer in colorado colorado mountain mule deer hunting is tough man there's a lot of area up high to like find in the it could be low dense it depends where you're at but like that's a much harder hunt i think um, Nebraska hunt, depending on where you're hunting, you get some of that rolling hills too, or some of the washout cut canyons, or if you find some private land, man, you're, you can hunt those mule deers on like the crop fields mm -hmm. on the top and stuff. So that's fun too. But I would say Arizona is probably my, that was probably one of my favorite mule deer hunts and probably my favorite terrain so far. Awesome. Well, yeah, we'll have to get you out here to, to chase some down by us, man. It's a good time. I'd love that, man. That'd be awesome get you a, a mule deer with the border fence in the background <laughs> <laughs> heck yeah that's where the, some of the best deer are honestly yeah right along the fence yeah i went to uh chihuahua mexico um this last january okay and hunted uh kruki mule deer it's a desert mule deer there kruki and, mule deer kruki mule deer is a subspecies okay. They don't get quite as big as like your like Colorado mule deer or like right. a Sonora mule deer. But that okay. was a lot of fun too, man. And so I'm assuming it's a similar, it could be a similar train because that's Chihuahua's North Mexico, right? All the way to the boat. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. And from your your footage, it looks very similar to to my part of Arizona. Um yeah. so yeah, I mean, how many hunts have you done in Mexico? It looks like you've done quite a few or killed I, quite a few things, anyways. Yeah, my first one was an odd dad hunt in Mexico, and I screwed that hunt up really bad. And we can go into that later. Sure, before. yeah. Um, and then I did a ghouls turkey hunt, and I went back to, for some redemption on a on that odd dad or or Barbary, Barbary sheep, and then I did a that mule deer. So I've done four hunts, four hunts in northern Mexico, and then I just did an oscillated turkey hunt down in the Mayan jungle by the peninsula in mexico so i've been to mexico quite a few times man and a lot of people are scared to go to mexico and it's just not that's just not the case man it's just it's not dangerous and especially if you have a good outfitter that takes care of you like it's right. just not as dangerous as what people think that's i was gonna ask you how you felt about that because that's i think the number one question i've gotten either sending people down there or even coming to hunt with me here in southern arizona mm -hmm. um did you take your own guns over there or did you use outfitters guns I took my own rifle over there and it's not that big of a process to do that. Um, you just need to get it permitted. Um, and then I brought my bow. So I've done rifle and bow. Okay. It's not that big a deal. I've had a harder time t 
taking my rifle and bow to Africa. Really? That was yeah. Really? Um, Where did you fly into in Africa? So I hunted in Zimbabwe, but I flew into South Africa. Okay. And since I went from country, which is United States, right, to country uh -huh. South Africa to another country, Zimbabwe, that mm. was kind of a nightmare, man. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't ever do that again. I okay. would just outfitters guns <laughs> if I did that again. That's interesting. I went, I've only been to Africa one time and I took my bow and I thought that was pretty seamless. Um, but the, the outfitter I was with um, had mentioned that South Africa is pretty concerned about making sure the gun leaves when you do too. Is that, did you find that to be true? Yeah, I think a lot of those countries, because there's a, some strong gun laws, is they uh -huh. don't want people bringing guns. You hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. They don't want pre people bringing guns into the country and leaving them there for people, right? And selling gotcha. guns. And I think that's a big deal. But we're, what kind of screwed us up in South Africa is, um, so I don't think that there was some part of my paperwork that wasn't completely right. And so they use it as an excuse to hold my gun. Oh. So because I wasn't staying there, right? I was flying over to Zimbabwe. So they held my gun, made a big stink out of it. But at the end of the day, they're like, I tell you what, give us $200 and you can have your gun. So it was really, <laughs> it was literally, and it had to be cash, right? It was literally right. a broad just to get my gun out. And then they held my ammo and wouldn't let my ammo out. Um, so I had my gun over in Zimbabwe, no ammo. I flew in Zimbabwe and they just changed the laws. My outfitter didn't know uh, on a on the bow where you needed a $1,500 permit to bring a bow in Zimbabwe. No kidding. Yeah. Ooh. And, and because I guess there's a lot of poaching going on with bows in Zimbabwe and whatever, but like, okay. Now, I didn't have that permit. I'm not spending $1,500 on a permit. That's like a new bow. Right. <laughs> buy out. a brand new one off the shelf for that. Yeah. So my bow sat at the airport my whole trip and my, I had my gun, but I had no ammo. So <laughs> I, I had a hell of a time. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> did you, uh, when you flew to Johannesburg, I would assume. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you go through London or did you go through, uh, Atlanta? We went to New York and then to Johannesburg. Oh, okay. Okay. I know uh, when I was doing some booking over there, one of the popular options was through London, but you had to come out of customs and go back in. And I always wondered how that worked for the, the gun hunters because I don't imagine that was an easy process. You know, man, just traveling with a gun is a pain in the ass just in general. <laughs> and then when you go from like, country to country it's just it's just harder i've yeah. done it so much now that i've got it dialed in is it you know pretty mm -hmm. well but it's still a pain in the butt you know what's always struck me is interesting is every airport seems to have a different policy and you never know where your gun's going to come out at least in the states um mm -hmm. i know here in, in at the tucson airport it literally comes out with like the golf clubs and strollers and just sits there and you yeah. can walk up and grab it. Some places are a little weirder. Um, and then I, I think I was in Maryland. It was like completely in a different area, completely unattended, which kind of shocked me for Maryland. So it's always kind of interesting and a little stressful when you're flying into an airport, you don't know. Yeah. And then you the Denver airport treated me like my bow was a bomb. They like took me into like some <laughs> secret room and opened everything up and scanned it. And I was like, literally, it's a stick and string, man. But it was like they'd never seen one before. So I thought that was pretty entertaining. 
Yeah. And it really comes down to the person too. Like some people, whoever's working, you know, at that, some people have a power trip and want to, and are nervous because Bo's a weapon and other people don't give a shit, man. And this right. is, <laughs> <you know? laughs> it just comes down to that. Yeah. That's, that's the one thing I, I t- say to anyone coming into Tucson is TIA is super chill with uh, weapons, believe it or not. So that's always nice. been nice. Nice. So when you went to Mexico, did you fly into Mexico or did you drive across the border? I have flown every time. So I, I was either flying in a Chihuahua city uh, and hunting and, and take and jumping in with my outfitter and going from there uh-huh. or this oscillated turkey trip i flew into mexico city down into campeche and then trekked it with jeeps into the jungle from there man that had to be quite an adventure it was man i love the adventure that was a long travel going down there took me two days because i had to stay over in mexico city and mm. then to campeche and then we 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 went out the next day so that was a long travel down, long travel back, but it was worth it, man. Like hunting in the jungle was a different experience. It was super cool. Uh, it was different than what I thought it was going to be. I was expecting more like a rainforest, but uh-huh. it was, it was super dry. They hadn't got rain in a long time. And it was like a very thick, dense forest basically is what it was. Okay. Um, and, but you know, when I was there, we found some cool ruins, like smack dab in the middle of the jungle. Oh, wow. And found some like 1800 year old pottery that I was like, wow, that like made the trip, man. It was cool. That's incredible. You know, that's what hunting's all about really is if it weren't for hunting, you probably would have never been right there in that jungle, nope. you know, looking at those ruins, you know, and yep. nope. that's awesome. So you've mentioned you're not really a turkey guy, but you seem like you're pretty close to a slam. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I I'll take that back. I do really enjoy hunting turkey because I, I enjoy the calling and the con- conversation. And I like taking new hunters out on turkey hunts because they get all excited with the gobbles. And oh yeah. It's a lot of fun hunting turkeys, but I don't didn't really care about a slam or anything like that. But after the ghouls turkey and this oscillated turkey, I'm like, well shit. Get I think I'm hardest I, two I, out of the way. Right. I think I only had like the oscillated, I'm not the oscillated, the oscillated and the eastern and i think i'm good man so i'm sure i'll get it here oh yeah yeah no that's awesome i uh had not turkey hunted until i think two seasons ago and i was hooked man i just thought it's like the best of wing shooting and the best of big game hunting combined so now i'm saving my points for an arizona gould's tag yeah so turkey hunting is a lot like elk hunting yeah we're like it's locate call call them to you it's it's very similar yeah no it's it's fascinating to just see the reaction and then of course when they start coming in man that's just cool mm-hmm. did you did you guys call the same with the oscillated turkeys as you would like a, a turkey up here in the states no actually it's way different uh first of all they don't gobble okay crazy they they do something they call it singing where and I'll try to mimic the sound here. It's so when you hear them, it goes whoop 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 tick 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 something like that. Okay. They have this like, bassy like whoop 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 whoop, and then it goes into like a cackling kind of a sound. Um, huh. and 
they only sing typically only sing when they're in a tree when they're either roosted like morning or evenings okay but once they hit the ground man they don't see a peep because there's so many predators that are trying to eat them there jaguars and mountain or lions like there's a lot of stuff there that's trying and it's super dense and so the how the traditional way of hunting an oscillated turkey is quite taboo for us here in the states it's actually shooting them out of the roost oh, okay yeah so like they're i was like wait we're just gonna shoot them out of the tree and they're like yeah that's and that's what they've been doing for thousands of years that's the traditional way right and right when in I, rome when in rome yeah they do what they do <laughs> And how that kind of works is like uh, they find them towards the evenings when they've roosted and they're singing, right? And then uh, they, well, because the jungles, uh, there's a lot, a lot of leaves. It's very loud on the jungle floor. So they'll clear a path that you can walk. And this is what the guides do. They clear a path that you can walk. Seems pretty catered, but it's actually harder than what it sounds. Sure. And then the next morning, you get up super early when it's still dark and you sneak up under and get as close to that roost tree as you can and wait for it to get light and you shoot them out of the roost. Okay. That's, so are you, that's are you how, just, mm, go ahead. No, I was just saying, are you using a shotgun for that still, or are they using small rifles? You're using a shotgun for okay. that. Um, I was using two shot, which is basically a rifle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you could use a bow, which is quite a bit more difficult to uh -huh. use a bow um it just it's just so thick man like you're shooting through branches and stuff to get there yeah. so you know the chances are a lot lower uh, gotcha. and that's the, that's the main way to do it you can we did do some calling uh you can call them uh it's just a quite a bit more difficult to call them in and and when you're calling are you mimicking that singing sound or do they have some clucks and stuff that they do as well yeah, you mimic the singing sound because they're very territorial. So if they hear another male within their area, that's the idea anyway, is they, they'll come in to fight the male to get them out of the area. Okay. Um, and we did. The first morning we hunted, we called one in on the ground. I could have shot him. I could have killed him. But my cameraman did not have him on film. Mm. So I we did not pull the trigger on him. And then I didn't end up shooting one until the last day of the hunt. So I got lucky. Oh yeah, absolutely. Did you shoot anything else while you were down there? I did. I shot a Akuta Monday, which is nice. kind of like a um it's like a a jungle raccoon kind of. Yeah, we have those here too. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Quite a few of them. They are. And then I shot a crested guan and a curacao. Just those are all game birds. Um it's kind of hard to explain them, but yeah, very cool, man. Like a lot of uh, a lot of things to hunt in the jungle. Um, the culture was really cool. It was just a great, great adventure, man. Man, that sounds like it. Yeah. So moving up to Chihuahua a little bit. Um, who did you go with? Is Muy Grande Outfitters? Is um, El Grande. Outfitters. El Grande. Okay. I do know of Muy Grande. They're more Sonoran. Okay, they're maybe that's why they're in my head. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I'd love to hunt a Sonoran mule deer one day. And, but, you know, that's definitely a bigger price tag. That's a pricey <laughs> hunt now. And yeah, it's only climbing hunt. in price. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I went with El Grande Outfitters and they're based out of Chihuahua. Awesome guys, man. Like fantastic guys. They're the, you know, when you think of like, it's funny when you could go from, out of country in a completely different area not have anything in common with anybody that you're hanging out with. But when you step foot and you're 
start to hang out with another hunter mm-hmm. that you automatically bond, right? Like it's, yeah. you're both addicted to hunting. You both, you both understand each other now, even if you don't even speak the same language, you know, like you're, you, as part of your tribe, you know, same thing with these guys, man. And they speak English. So it's not like they don't okay. speak English, but like, you know, automatic bond, like that's my tribe. They're my people, man. They, they're very good at what they do and just very good guys. Nice. And were you with them for, for mule deer out at in Turkey? Yep. Yep. I went with them with all three of those. Yep. And I did, you know, and tr- just transparent is, uh, you know, although like I sold some businesses and I have some money that shit runs out and that can be expensive. Right. So I, because I do still some content creation, uh, I traded it out with them where I helped them create some commercials and some advertising and uh, traded out with a lot of the cost of those hunts. So that's really nice. Very cool, man. No, it's beauty of having a good skill set. Yeah. So selfishly, because I'm obsessed with ghouls, turkeys, tell me sure. how that hunt went. Tell me the story. Yeah, yeah man, that was, a, that was a tough hunt. Before I tell you how that hunt went, tell me why you're obsessed with ghouls, turkey. You know, I wish I could tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like i said i've got this new adult onset love of turkey hunting and mm-hmm. uh so my wife and i we moved to northern part of the state for a little bit and, and one of the things i realized while i was gone and kind of what really sparked this podcast was how much i love the part of the state that i grew up in and mm-hmm. um how proud i am of you know southern arizona in particular and the species we hunt down here, I'm a coos fanatic. Um, like I mentioned, I love hunting javelina. And I just think we have such unique topography and the wildlife is so unique to anywhere else, you know, and I've gotten to hunt all across the U.S. And uh, there's just nowhere like here. So I think because like the coos deer or like the Mern's quail, it's one of those just iconic species of my little even region of Arizona and the mm-hmm. sky islands, which are, you know, basically we've got desert floor. Most of our deserts are between two and 4,000 feet in elevation. And then we just have these, I guess, you know, compared to the Rockies or somewhere like where you're at small mountain ranges that the peaks are nine, 10,000 feet. And they just come up from the desert floor. And within those sky islands, as they're called, it's like a, their own little world. I mean, you can be out with the mule deer and the coyotes and the rattlesnakes in in like just a few hundred feet in elevation change, you know, less than a mile, you're seeing a completely different array of species. You've got ghouls, turkeys, black bears, coos deer, like we said, the coatis, the Mern's quail. And so I just love that uniqueness. And I think basically ghouls, turkey is just so iconic for that. Um, that yeah, it just kind of added to my obsession with where I am, where I hunt, where I guide. And so, and I think, you know, I don't know why I've, I'm almost cursed with liking things that aren't as obtainable as others. And so yes. I could go draw Merriam's tag every year, but instead I'm going to build my points, um, to kill one down by where I live. And so I think because it's not something I can just do every year, it just really, um, fires me up about getting that tag and the pressure of being like, I might only draw one other Gould's tag in my life. You know, who knows um, that when I do get it, it's just going to be such a special hunt. So I think that's kind of why in a nutshell. Yeah, man, I agree with you on that. I think 
for me, and it sounds like you too, is the big part of the hunt, this, the quotations trophy of the hunt is not about the animal. It's about the experience and where you're hunting, how you're hunting, the challenge Absolutely. of the hunt. And the Sky Islands down there, man, I've never been there, but they say, it sounds like a whole different world and it sounds amazing. You'll love them, um, man. Yeah. And that's, you know, when I went on an Audad hunt in Mexico, people were like, why don't you just go to Texas? Right. You know, you don't have to go to out of country. I'm like, I understand that. But it's, that for me, it's about the adventure of going to Mexico, the Mexican desert to Wawa Desert hunting Audad. You know, that's that's part of the, the trophy for me. Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things I tell my clients that come out to hunt with me is I'm not, obviously I want them to kill something, right? And I want them to kill a nice, whatever they're hunting. But the, the thing that I think maybe separates me is I want them to get a true cultural experience. And so when I take people out, um, even for something simple, like a, a javelina or whatever, if they're into cooking and I kind of pick up on that um, while they're hunting with me, there's a little chili spice factory down. It's probably uh, not more than 20 miles north of the border, probably less called Santa Cruz Chili Factory. And it's really close to a lot of the places I hunt and we'll kill something. I'll throw it on ice and we'll go in there and I'll say, hey, let's let's find something that you can take home and cook this in a way that resembles where it's from and i mean i don't think they speak much english in there i barely skate by um paying for the the stuff but it's so cool and you can go in there and try all these different spices and so i love i want them to go away knowing the culture of the area and if they're history buffs there's some old missions and stuff we can go to so i kind of like when they tag out early because i feel like if you've hired me for a six-day hunt you've got me for those six days regardless when you kill your animal and so I like to really entertain people down here and show them that culture. So yeah, you're absolutely right. To me, it's, there's so much more than just taking something home, you know? Absolutely, man. It's about that adventure for sure. Yeah. Yep. Cool. But yeah, my, uh, my ghouls hunt in Mexico, since you're a ghouls fanatic and that this was exactly what we're describing here. It's, it's a, it's a tough hunt, man. It's in some mountainous terrain, when I say mountains, we're not talking about 9,000 foot mountains, but like some tough terrain, some rolling hills. It gets up there pretty good. Yeah. Um, Was it know, rocky? It's not, yeah, it's rocky. Yeah, that's the difficult yep. part. Yep. And it's it's not like, you know, going hunting turkey on a crop field in the Midwest where you just sit there and call. Like, it's definitely a, a tough hunt. It's probably the hardest turkey hunt I've ever done, um, which was perfect for me. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And so – where we're hunting the the birds just were not talking at all and it has been really dry and so if if you're not hearing a turkey call and you're not hearing them talking it, it gets really difficult really fast <laughs> very yeah yeah so we were kind of forced to sit on a couple water holes and just hope that they came in and i'm self-filming and bow hunting so like super difficult for me to oh do yeah that. um and we didn't, I mean, we saw some turkey, we chased some around again, like I probably could have killed one, but I didn't have it on film and, you know, screwed up a couple stocks and, um, and it just, I ended up the last day of the hunt, I switched to a shotgun. I know I gave up on my bow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do that sometimes, man. I always bring my bow cause like, I love killing things with a bow, but like filming and bow hunting is really hard. So oh, I'm yeah. like, screw it. I'm pulling out a gun, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah. So the last day of the hunt, I grab a shotgun and um, we kind of split up. I go off on my own. We have them roosted. They did not follow the script. They flew off somewhere else. Well, I ended up spotting them again on a ridge and I kind of knew where they were going to go. There's a water hole up just, I don't know, 500 yards off of this ridge. So I snuck up into, and it was, you know, really dry, tons of leaves on the ground. So like the, I did a stock on them and I probably went 200 yards and it took me two hours to do a stock because how loud it was. And I ended up getting about 60 yards from them. They were like over in this little crevice. I couldn't quite see them, but I could hear them. And I had to make a decision of like, and this is definitely not traditional turkey hunting, right? No, like, <laughs> no. But stalking a turkey is no joke, man. So that's uh, that's incredible to be that close. Yeah. And, you know, turkey are like the the dumbest but most finicky bird ever, right? They could be the dumbest goddamn bird. But at the same time, they're like, if they see one little thing that's out of freaking the norm, they're out of there. You know, their eyesight's so good, right? Yeah. So um so anyway so i'm like 60 yards and i have to make a decision like crap what do i do i can't get any closer they'll hear me they'll take they'll blow out so i just ended up taking off running <laughs> closing the distance and shooting <laughs> one on the run and you know whatever it wasn't the traditional way of doing it but like hey i got it done but i really enjoyed it i enjoyed like that the challenge of that two-hour stock of going super slow and while i was stalking i had a hand come up behind me and walk like three feet from me and past me and like had no idea I was there. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it was super cool, man. I really enjoyed it. That's cool. How long were you down there for? It was a five-day hunt. Okay. So, you know, travel days on the bookend. So you're looking at a seven-day hunt with five of them actually hunting, two days of travel. Gotcha. So how was their accommodations? Were you in like a ranch house or were you guys camping? Yeah, it was a ranch house. Um, and it was fine. It's not like a five-star resort or anything, but is for me, man, I don't need anything. Like I'm typically sleeping in a little pup tent on the ground somewhere on a mountain, right? So like I don't need much for accommodations, but their food is awesome. You know, it's just I'm a sure. bunch of foods, but like, you know, authentic Mexican food. Really good. Now, were you able to speaking of food, were you able to bring the meat back from all of your hunts, or do you have to I don't know what the, the law is from Mexico to the States. Like I know in Africa you can't, or it needs to be processed or something. Were you able to bring anything back? No, I think there's a way that you can do it, but I, it just, for me, it was, I think it's just too much work and I think yeah. it might be super costly. So we ended up actually like with a Turkey, we ended up eating the Turkey while we're there. And then the other hunts, the other meats I donate to like other, like a lot of those, uh, ranch hands, like mm -hmm. you know, there's ranches out in the middle of nowhere in the desert and these, you know, donating the meats to the hands, they absolutely love it. So, oh yeah. Well, I think especially when you start getting into like, you know, like you're describing like the adventure hunts and going to some of these far places, you know, people don't realize how much value hunters bring to the community, right? Like I know like where I was in Africa, they sold the meat at a discounted price. Uh, and that was like the only way that the people in the area could afford protein. So it, you know, people don't understand the, I don't think the difference between shooting something here versus overseas. So man, that's cool. Yeah, man. It's, you're right. People don't understand that. And they, 
a lot of times you're looked at like, oh, you went over Africa to murder a bunch of shit. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they don't understand what that does for the community because you're spending money there. You're spending money with the outfitter and the government in Zimbabwe. Anyway, I don't know about the other countries, but like the government owns the animals in Zimbabwe. Right. So locals cannot hunt. They cannot right. hunt for their own food. Obviously, you know, there's probably poaching going on. But in order for them to have that is that meat is donated to the villages around wherever you're hunting. And those villages are not nice villages. There's dirt floors, no electricity, no running water. You know, it's, it's a big deal when a hunter comes, spends money in the community, all that money goes to school systems. And then you shoot an animal and all that meat is donated to the local villages. It is a huge deal for them. Oh, right? absolutely. So, and from an economy standpoint, I mean, you think about the people employed by that outfitter, whether it be, you know, trackers or, or whoever, you know, in a rural environment, in a third world country, there, there's no other industry, you know, and hundred dollars are, as we talked about earlier, that's, that's a substantial chunk of change for, for a community that otherwise would have literally nothing but local trade, you know? Yeah. I, um, the guide I went with down in Mexico, the, um, the jungle, the oscillated turkey hunt. He has 34 grandkids. I don't remember how many actual kids. My goodness. But like, oh man, you know, and awesome guy. He didn't speak a lick of English. So we communicated the best that we could, you know. But, uh -huh. um, you know, what's really cool is if it wasn't for him working as a guide without the demand of hunting there, mm -hmm. he would need to be hunting himself. And he grew up hunting his entire life, but to feed his family. So, now he gets to hunt with hunters and he makes a lot more money and he can support his family way more efficiently by guiding hunts rather than uh, hunting for, you know, just sustain, sustaining for his family. No, absolutely. So when you um, hunted the other species, is that all in the same area or do they have multiple camps? There's multiple camps. So obviously the jungle hunts down Southern Mexico the uh, Audad hunt is north of Chihuahua. The ghouls hunt was south of Chihuahua. And then um, the mule deer was on the same ranch as the Audad. So that, that was nice to do both of the same ranch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, cool. What's next? Um, You know, I don't have a ton of stuff lined out this year just because uh, I've kind of gone ham on some hunts over the last <laughs> few years. Uh, I do have the the Attic Island caribou hunt in Alaska. That one's scheduled. I'm going to see what tags I draw here. But, man, I tell you what, it sounds like I need to come down to uh, southern Arizona and do, do like a deer, coos deer hunt is what I'm thinking. Yeah, man, like I was telling you, you come out in January, you can get a over-the-counter deer tag, which mm -hmm. is good for either or. And then the, the draw for javelina is almost 100%. And then whatever you glass up, you know, the country is probably very similar to like you were hunting the Goulds in maybe a combination between that and your odd ad, just from kind of where you're telling me everything was, um, whatever you glass up, you can chase. And, uh, I, that's what I love about this time of year. So you definitely need to come up. Um, you even, I mean, have a crack at a lion. I shot a lion last December stalking a, a coos deer buck. And no I looked kidding. across, yeah, I looked across the Canyon and, uh, I saw movement and I just by the naked eye, I was like, man, that is a jack deer. 
thought, <laughs> busted me, you know, because I was coming down this little finger ridge and then it led into a canyon and this thing was coming up the other side of the canyon. So I figured he slipped down and, you know, gave me the slip because I was within a couple hundred yards where I thought he had bedded down and uh, threw my glass up and I'm like, oh crap, that's a lion. And um, it, was, it was a funny story because I was bow hunting and the lion was up on his feet. I was like, I'm not going to be able to stock this thing. So I called a friend of mine who got me in touch with a houndsman mm-hmm. and um, he he texts me his number and I'm up on this ridge and, you know, that's the only place I have service. So I call this guy and I tell him who I am. And he was at the hardware store up in Tucson buying some stuff for a project. And I literally, the minute I said, I have a lion spotted, heard the product in his hands hit the floor of the store. And he said, <laughs> I'm on my way. And uh, I was like, gosh, I'm going to be sitting here forever. And I, I kid you not, man, he made it to where I was. I told him where I was. And not more than an hour had passed. And I heard dogs barking and a horse, you know, trotting. And uh, <laughs> I was disappointed to see that he only brought one horse and that was the one he was sitting on. So for four hours, <laughs> me and that horse became running buddies. But yeah, it was, it was pretty sweet. So yeah, the opportunity down here is, is endless that time of year. So we'll definitely have to yeah. get you down here. That would be great, man. Is that a bow hunt or is that a rifle hunt? Um, then January, that's archery. And then the lions either or, and, uh, so he, he doesn't tie his dogs. He requested, I shoot it with a pistol. And so yeah. uh, I took it with, <laughs> I said, I've got my, my nine mil on me. He's like, Oh, that's fine. And it worked great. Um, that one's actually wow. on the hunter fuel page, but, uh, it was my Glock 43. And so right as I'm looking down the sites, I started cracking up. I was like, this is literally like my church and grocery store gun. It's about to shoot a mountain lion. So <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool, man. Yeah, I think that would be great. I would be uh, excited to come down and hang out with you guys. No, we, we'd love to have you, man. Before you go, since you've gone on this kind of journey, um, has there been like one particular hunt that really stood out where you looked back and said, I am so glad if nothing else, I went on, you know, I, I went on this, this hunting, um, adventure you know whatever you want to call your last few years that just made it really worth it man every hunt i think i could say that too just because i absolutely love being in nature uh, and and it's a it's different between going on a hike like <laughs> this sounds funny i hate going on a hike me too like, thank you people don't understand <laughs> that gosh I remember when my wife and I met, she's like, do you hike? I'm like, no. And she's like, but you like the outdoors. I'm like, yeah, but like, I need like a true mission. Purpose. So yeah, mission. now when she picks a hiking spot, she knows it's somewhere of interest to me. <laughs> so yeah. we've been hiking in a lot of sheep areas lately. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I'm totally yeah, down for it. Yeah. There's those guys that go, guys and girls that do those, those 14ers every year, 14,000 foot mount, uh, mountains, right? They, yeah. they so much. And I've done a couple of them. Sure. But I think those are crazy. They're, those guys are crazy. Now, you put an elk at the top of those, I'll get there fast and I'll do 10 of them a day if I'm chasing something, right? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, to your to your question is every hunt, man, I, I never, ever regret a hunt. I enjoy every one of them. I learn something new. And I get to be outdoors in the mountains or woods or experiencing something different, a different country. I absolutely love every one of them. Awesome. 
Well, Kurt, thank you for coming on, man. How can people find you and your content? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Um, you So my YouTube channel has a lot of my content on. That's Western Obsessions TV. If you want to watch some of the uh, episodes on more of like a linear, it's Carbon TV and Waypoint TV where my hunting show's at. Uh, if you kind of want to see what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, that would probably be my Instagram.